Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. That was good. You may be seen. You know, it was 36 years ago today. I was downtown Cleveland on uh, East 18th Street in what was a Holiday Inn on the 18th floor. We were in the middle of seven days of prayer. I didn't design it to be during Halloween week. It just happened that way, and it was an aha moment later on. But 24-7, 120 churches fueled a 24-7 prayer in 1985 that God would shake this city in the days ahead. It was called Quake on the Lake. He gave it to me. It was a simple idea. I was like uh, 26 years old, something like that. And we gathered all these pastors together. I mean, there's so much story behind it. I don't want to tell you it all right now, but let me just say this. God worked an amazing miracle, brought these pastors together, churches together. Actually, the security guy at guard on the 18th floor gave his heart to the Lord during that week. I mean, there was, we, we broke the hold of pornography over the city. In that time in history, in mid-80s, this was a number one in the nation place of publication and uh, distribution of pornography around the nation. It was horrible. We broke it, and it did break. And so in an interview that week with WZLE, which is now The Fish, they interviewed me, Pastor Louis Caton, helped me greatly out of church on the North Coast, and many others, Norm Beatler and so many others that helped me. And uh, we declared that, I mean, we were declaring big stuff. It was above our pay grade. I mean, we were declaring things like, God is gonna shake this city. And we called it quake on the lake. And the person interviewing me said, do you believe there's gonna be a physical earthquake? And I said, I believe there'll be a physical earthquake. I mean, what a, what a crazy thing to say, you know? And it was on the radio. And uh, uh, so, you know, and in fact, it was one of those things after I said it, I thought, what did I say? It was, you know, that was kind of a whole different level of uh, prophecy uh, than what I would normally do. And of course, nothing happened that week. But three months later in January 1986, the largest earthquake to ever hit Cleveland hit. You may remember it if you were around at the time. And when it did, my phone was ringing off the hook. And it was interesting because during the week, the Lord told me, he confirmed that it was time for me to move to Canada. And I had a big debate with the Lord, like, wait, wait, no, no, the Holy Spirit's coming to Cleveland. He's coming to Cleveland, man, I don't want to go to Canada. And he gave me this whole deal within... Within five months after the earthquake, I was landed in Canada with my family starting a church up there. I knew I would be there 10 years. The Lord said, go there for 10 years. I didn't know where I was going after that, but eventually came back here. And I feel that I've now been here, back here for 25 years. And there's something special about this moment. I just did a podcast with, I was on Mark Sharona's podcast, uh, who was just here for our conference on uh, Friday. We did two, two things on church history specifically about St. Patrick, St. Francis. It was, it was wonderful. The Spirit of God was so strong in that podcast. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. It's not, it's not out yet, but we had such a, a dynamic together. And the, the Lord clearly showed me that we are entering into the place right now that this whole pandemic that we've been on is a parenthesis between one era and another. We are seeing now, I mean, with the shift of Facebook this week to, what is a metaverse now? Is that what it is? Yeah, metaverse. Um, we're going into a total, uh, uh, yeah, virtual reality, VR, virtual reality, 
where, I mean, you'll be able to, starting with your home, but you'll be able to meet with people in your home that are not there. It's kind of like Zoom, only there's going to be avatars there of them. You'll be sitting in a room. Of course, that's expanding the business. It's expanding. They have all kinds of things, gaming and everything else that's coming out of it. But the, I, and I, I'm not saying that's a wrong thing, but I do think it's going to mess with people's emotions and, and uh, cognitive abilities. I believe we're moving into a period of unprecedented emotional and mental despair on people. And Christians need to know what they stand on right now. It's the rock of Jesus Christ. With the wave that is coming, I'm telling you, it is even what's going on with cryptocurrency. When you got a cryptocurrency about a show that really results in children dying at the end of people that are deeply in debt and they go through, they play this game. If they lose, they die. It's apparently some kind of reflection of a real reality that happens in a certain part of the world right now with people that are deeply in debt who are specifically selected uh, for that. It's the Squid Game. And uh, the Squid Game put out a coin this week and, and in this week it jumped thousands of percents. It went from 0.8 zeros and a five, I think, to $5. There were, there were millionaires made instantly this week out of a coin based on a program that is on television. It's, it's a crazy world we're in right now. And it's getting crazier and it's getting crazier faster. In the midst of it, I'm telling you with the swirl and the difficulty, it's gonna feel like the world is blowing by and you're then gonna be blown with it. I had no plans of sharing this this morning, but you're gonna be blown with it. But in fact, it's gonna be blowing toward you the pressure of culture unprecedented in our lives. Regardless of your age, you will say, I've never experienced anything like this in my life. And we are called to press through and be countercultural like Abraham did when he went up the river out of Ur in ancient Babylon, up out of Ur and he went against the grain. All of culture was coming down the river toward Ur. He went against it because he did something that no man had ever done to that point. Everyone moved only because they knew water was somewhere. That's the only reason. No one, people lived their entire lives without going more than 30 miles from where they were born because of water. You may not find water and you're gonna die. And so Abraham's the first man who left comforts, left where he was because he heard the voice of God and he went against culture, went against the flow. And because of it, God established an altar a generation, a covenant, and a promise that we're living in right now. God's calling Christians to step into those kind of covenants right now. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's such an important thing to do. But then you align yourself to that. So this brought me to my, you know, my uh, love-illusion, which is right up here. It should be up here. Yes, up here. Love-illusion which was spoken to me about a month ago. I was thinking about revolution. I was thinking about the Beatles, actually. You say you want a revolution, you can count me out. You know, and it's very interesting, the song from the times that it was written, you know. And so I was thinking about that. There's, there's a call in a lot of Christians' lives for revolution, and they're thinking about guns and bullets. And I know there's times in history where that is absolutely necessary. I do not believe this is one of those times in history. I do believe that if the church gets its act together, and by the way, I'm not preaching too, that is me, that is you. It's not this building, this is not the church, you're the church. 
You're the ecclesia. So if the church, which means you and me, get our act together before God and begin to be focused as the Lord being the hub of everything we do rather than one spoke on the wheel, but as the hub and centrality of Jesus Christ in our lives, if we rise up into that like the mystics did all through the Middle Ages, that's what I was talking to my buddy down in Florida the other day about uh, uh, Sharona, that uh, you know, the mystics throughout age, the ages were all considered crazy at the moment. Yeah. And now they're saints. Yeah. I mean, St. Patrick was considered crazy to go to Ireland after he'd been held slave there. St. Francis was, was so crazy that he was born in wealth. I mean, everyone, he was like, you talk about one percenter, he was a one-tenth of one percenter. And he got in all kinds of trouble and ended up in prison. But in prison, God spoke to him. And when he came out, he was a radical, fiery, joyful believer in Jesus Christ. And all the riches meant nothing to him, literally, where he took all of his clothes off and gave them to his father, who was a, who was a clothes maker and made great wealth from that. He gave them all to his father and said, you're not my father anymore, for the Lord is my father. He ran off in the woods naked. That is kind of crazy. But he became arguably the greatest saint in the Catholic Church. And by the way, saying Catholic Church is our church too because we were a part of the history of the Catholic Church for 1,500 years. And so you look at it and go, wow, all through the ages there were people that did radical things. Please do not follow St. Francis' example, at least not here today. So what did he do? He said, I'm married to Sister Poverty, Brother Poverty. I mean, and we read his stuff now and we think he had a poverty mindset, conscious. No, 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 he, he really didn't. He was just demonstrating, I am all out for Jesus Christ and I will not be influenced by the things that are on the outside. That may express itself in many different ways right now. But because of it, he was a, he was a seminal person that transformed all of Western culture and in fact, touched the entire world. One man from 1181, that's when he was born during crusades, through, through plagues, and everything else that happened, through leprosy and all the things, Patrick stood strong, so strong that in his uh, early 40s, while in a chapel, he got struck with the stigmata, which is the wounds of Christ, the first one in history, where he actually had nail prints in his hands and on his feet, and occasionally would bleed through those places as a, as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. But he was full of joy. He was full of joy in the midst of his suffering. And he changed the world and affect our life even today because of his suffering. So I was meditating on that the other day and I, I'm on this, uh, you know, revolution, a revolution of love. The church is, I've been saying for two months now, a laboratory of love. We are here. The reason we're here is to practice love with one another. We can't be spectators where we come just on Sunday morning and look at someone speak and hear a few songs and watch the people be baptized and go home. We are called to be joined together, aptly, fitly joined together. There's something powerful in our relationships together as we learn to love one another. And let me tell you, there are unlovable people in this room. Don't look around. You or an unlovable person at some point in your life, and maybe now. Maybe you're unlovable at certain times or when you're around certain people, but it's there. It's there. The revolution is in us. 
that as we begin to walk in the love of Christ and we love the unlovables, like St. Francis who got off his horse for something in his own heart, he kissed a leper. Nobody does that. He kissed a leper on the forehead. And he wept and was broken because, because he, re, he, was, he was empathy. That leper probably never had anyone kiss him on the forehead his entire life and maybe not even someone touching him his entire life. You can imagine the loneliness without touch, without affection, without someone to talk to. You're on your own. You're dying slowly by a hideous disease. St. Francis got off his high horse, went over and kissed him and boom, there's a power of God that came into his own heart and created him as a man of love. He created a love illusion, again, that lasts even till this day. Out of St. Francis, all kinds of things came out to change culture around us. God wants to do that with every person here. So what do we do? We learn how to do things with love. We show loving intention. You know, we got a great example right now with Jim Jacobs who just passed on and went to be with the Lord. Gene is left behind and Chrissy and so many others, uh, Beth and everyone else, Lord, who children and grandchildren and we are here and they're part of our church. It's our opportunity now to, to not say crazy things, but to say things that are appropriate. We love you. We are with you. We, we feel the loss that you're feeling. You know, I want, to, I want to help you in the midst. Those are good words to begin to speak. And so as we hear about people that have these transitions from earth into heaven, so-called death. And so the scripture came up to me uh, out of James, and I'm gonna go there. I, I typically refer to this a couple times a year out of James 3. If you could turn there in your Bibles or open up your phone and find it somewhere and uh, Google James 3 and you're gonna find it. It is about the tongue. I only have a few minutes, but I want to go as deep as I can over these few minutes here. Because the Lord has given me a revelation about governing our tongue, which the Bible says is like the fire of hell. He says nobody can control the tongue. Creatures cannot control the tongue. And when he speaks of the tongue, he's talking about what comes out of your mouth, what you say. I mean, we just say things that are, that are destructive. We live in a culture that will counsel you with their tongue. I mean, if you say, you put anything on the internet, on social media right now, anything that even dances close to an edge of a, an opinion, people just slam you with it. I mean, they, they find out, they'll troll you, man, and all of a sudden you've got boom, 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 more, more uh, participation and activation on your site than you've ever had before, and it ain't good. They're coming after you, you know, about your thinking. You can't think that way. You can't think that way in this culture. And I'm telling you, there's people beginning to stand up all around the world in Europe and the United States saying, I will not be canceled for having a different opinion. So the tongue is strong. We are seeing the effects of a tongue right now and what it can do. It can shut this nation down. It's gonna take people that are not radical. Hey, you know, we're protesting, we're breaking windows, we're doing whatever we feel like we need to do to get attention. It's gonna be won over by people that know how to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. The right words will change an entire situation. That's why I'm learning, right? I've been a wordsmith my whole life trying to learn how to communicate, you know, things and say them properly and, you know, areas and situations I walk into, what's the right thing? And it's not out of me having a fear of wrong response because there still be wrong response in, in certain occasions. 
It's about me wanting to love a person through what I say. And so when I meditated on it the other day, I thought, you know, the best bet we have at Bethel Cleveland to speak the truth in love is to be a prophetic people. Because a prophetic people are people that speak what they believe God is saying into a situation. So now if you become a person that's trained in speaking what Jesus would say, WWJD, in this case it's WWJS, what would Jesus say? When someone comes back at you harshly, when someone is wicked towards you, or speaks evil things over you, what do you do? Do you respond inside? I tell you, there is a guttural response that comes that many times reveals where our heart is still. You ever get that? I do, where it's like, oh, I just wanna smack them up the side of the head. I mean, that's your initial response. And it's like, that says something about me. I'm a uh, side of the head smacker <laughs> on, a bad, on a bad day. And so, and so I'm like, okay, Jesus. I think, okay, what, what, what is it now that I need to say? Remind me again. And uh, he's amazing. He'll bring scripture back to you. The Holy Spirit, remember, to will and to do. He's shifting your will and he's shifting your do. The things you say, the things you do are being shifted by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what being born again is really like. It transforms your life. You're no longer conformed to the world. You're being transformed to a renewing of your mind and therefore the way you communicate with others. And so in James 4, you didn't think I was gonna get there. It says in verse four, it says, look also at ships. Ships. I'm gonna jump through here, by the way. Although they are so large. I was just looking last night on the internet. Bill Gates rented yacht for his birthday. $1.5 million a week to rent the yacht. It was well over 120 feet long. It was beautiful. I'll probably never be on one. It was pretty amazing to look at. That huge ship, as big as it is, has a little rudder that guides it everywhere it goes. They are so large, but they're driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. So you're the pilot. This rudder is your tongue. Your desire will take you where you're confessing that you're going. And by the way, if you don't get a hold of your tongue, it may take you somewhere you don't want to be. It'll speak to you a place of problems and challenges. I don't know what the percentages are. I'd guess 90% of my problems in my life were not sent by the devil. They were sent by me. <laughs> Think about that a minute. We're like, the devil brought me here. So Steve, you're the one directing the ship. You turn the rudder in that direction. You know, if we're on our way to Columbus today, we get in our car, we're driving down there, someone else is driving, you're studying, you're doing something, you're working, and all of a sudden you end up in Pittsburgh. You're like, wait, what happened? I don't know, I just, I got here in Pittsburgh. We're going to Columbus. Now we're gonna be late. We're gonna drive the... To Columbus from here, it's gonna take another two to three hours to get over to Columbus. We live our lives that way. We live our lives, sometimes we speak things and even when we speak it, we go, I probably shouldn't have said that. It's really not what I believe, it's not what I think. It's emotionally what came out of us. So we're guided by this and said, even a tongue is a little member, it boasts great things, verse five. So how great a forest, a little fire kindles and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. 
The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the entire body. Listen to this. You wanna hear what the interpretation is? Your tongue will defile you. Your tongue will separate you from certain people. Your tongue will keep you from getting promotions. Your tongue will create enemies out of neighbors. You say, well, I wanna deal with that. I wanna deal with it. It says defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature. In other words, we throw little fires all the time by what we say. And it is set on fire by hell itself, verse nine. With it, we bless God. With it, we curse men. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. And then, and then Paul enters into this and says, these things ought not to be so. Do you know, even how you say something, it's what you say and it's how you say it. We used to do a thing when I was a business trainer back in the uh, uh, late 80s and early 90s. We used to have this little phrase, I've used it here many times, but we just demonstrated how a sentence can come out in six different ways, just using six words. And so we'd say, he, oh, he said, I never said he stole money. I never said he stole money. So listen to this. I never said he stole money. Okay, it must have been someone else. I never said he stole money. Okay, this, it's, it's locked in time. I never said he stole money. What'd you do, write it down, email it, uh, social media? I never said he stole money. What did he do with the money? It was something a little bit different. I never said he stole money. What did he steal? Six words. You can say, well, I told him the truth. I said what I thought. Yeah, but the way you say it can come across in a multitude of ways because your whole body is involved what you're communicating. In poker, they call it a tell. A little twitch of the eye. A little move of the hand. You watch someone enough when they play a game, when they get nervous about a set of cards they have, there's something that kind of comes out a little glitch. Here they are and you go, oh, okay. He's lying to me right now. Apparently looking down to the left is a sign of lying when someone asks you a question. Uh, okay, I know they're lying. I've trained myself, look right, look right, look right, look right. <laughs> so the scripture says our tongue is so powerful. It, um, not, not to be so, it sends forth fresh water, bitter water. It, 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 uh, my bro well, I'll skip that one there. Let's go down here to verse 15. This wisdom, the wisdom that is guided by the tongue that brings envy and self-seeking does not descend from above. Christians are famous for saying, I think this is the Lord. He's upset about this too. The Lord is angry at the church. You know, I, I, you know what if he's not? Isn't that embarrassing? Are you just kind of guessing that? Are you assessing because a few Christians you know? I tell you right now, he loves his bride. And right now he is shaping the church to be a church without spot or wrinkle. Without spot means that it's going through the washing machine. Over, over, and over. 2020, 2021. You come out, what happens next? No wrinkle. That's the steam. What are you doing? without spot or wrinkle. The church is being worked on right now by the Holy Spirit. And you feel it, and I love, I've used this story so many times, but you know, in a washing machine, the thing in the middle, you know, on a, on a top of a load, yeah. it's called an agitator. Yeah. There's an agitator in the middle of this church. Who is it? 
Holy Spirit is the agitator. And it's shoo, shoo, shoo. What's he doing? He's working out love in each of our lives. Every difficulty is a test of love. It's a challenge of coming out more loving, more considerate, more passionate, more empathy than you ever had before. So the wisdom doesn't descend from above. It is earthly. It is sensual. It is demonic. Wow. That's kind of straightforward, isn't it? For where evil and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. You understand that, that culture, continuing that culture of, you know, back and forth and anger and frustration and judgment and everything else can, can kill your culture. And it is actually demonic. He says, now the fruit of righteousness is to sow in peace by those who make peace. You know, how do you learn these things? You learn these things by, by training. And the Lord told me a month ago when I started this revolution, he said, do, do um, activations so we can understand. I mean, think right now, who is someone that is a target for your love right now this week? I hate to use the word target, but I think it's, it's needed in this moment. Who's the target person in your life that you least love, that needs your love? Anyone have someone that comes to your mind? Raise your hand. All right, it's just gonna take another minute. It'll eventually fill everybody. And don't look at your husband when you raise your hand. <laughs> there are people you need to practice love on. Uh, I'm doing it right now. I did this past week. I'm doing it now. I'm going in. I'm breaking into areas where, you know, it's not that I don't, I don't love them. I don't care for them anymore. It's just like, yeah, we don't, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, no, 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 you know, that thing. And so I'm leaning into it like, I'm gonna step into their world. I'm gonna see what it's like to be in their world. And it's amazing when you get into someone else's world that you do not know, there's so much there to love, but the relationship, whatever happened to it, has created a wall. And until that wall comes down, there's not gonna be unification that needs to take place. The Lord wants you to be able to walk around and not judge people by their color, not judge people by their background, not judge people by their education or lack of it, not judge people by what geography they're from. Oh, I'm from here, oh, I hate that place. <laughs> we used to take teams all over the world and we're gonna start doing it again. We're gonna take teams all over the world and I tell them before we go, I used to have a meeting before, every time we go out and I say, do not criticize this country. You're gonna see things that are not like America. It's fine, it's that country. I mean, we went to a country that, that killed whales. We were there when they killed 200 whale. We were right there by the water as they were killing them. You know, and if you, if you got, you know, special affection toward whales, you know, that's a judgment. You're like, yeah, yeah, you know, and they, so they were very concerned about it. And they asked me, what did you think? And I said, well, it's your culture. You've been doing it a thousand years. They said, that's right. And I said, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's pretty gory, but it was a beautiful thing. The bay turned red with blood. And we ate the whale later that day. It's pretty amazing. Most lean piece of meat you would ever eat in your life, you know. So I'm in the country. I'm relating with the people. I'm understanding their culture. I'm not bringing judgment. Did you know judgment is really not our responsibility except with one another in the church? And we will judge angels someday. We're not called to judge those that do not know Jesus. Did you know that? It's pretty amazing. He's reserved, you know, judgment is reserved for another day and we're not in charge of it. Yeah. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. He will judge 
And I think he will do a way better job than what I do here on planet Earth. So I'm removing judgments and I'm trying to learn to speak in love. So who is that person? You know, it says in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, this is my dad's favorite verse. It was like his life verse once he came to know Jesus Christ and he practiced it all the time. Mark eleven twenty three 23 says this. It says, assuredly, I say to you, sounds like Jesus, it's him talking. Whoever says to a mountain, now this is the reverse of the curse. A mouth, a tongue that is on fire and speaks bitter and sweet is mixed. Salty and fresh, it's mixed. Olives on fig trees, fig trees on olive branch. What? what, what? Totally confused. Until you control this tongue, you have no control over your destiny. And so they, there's several offerings up of what you do with your tongue. And it says this, Jesus said, surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, that involves the tongue, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Did you get that? Says is there three times. Whoever says to the mountain, be removed and cast the sea. Who does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says would be done, he will have whatever he says. So we are training our tongues to speak into situations to remove mountains. Did you know at work and with people you work with and even your neighbors and everything else, there are people with huge mountains in their life. There's huge loads. You get into someone's life and realize what they're carrying. It's extraordinary. I mean, I come away from talking to some people and I think, oh man, I thought I was having difficulty in my life. Their, their weight is like 10, 10X compared to mine. And so a compassion comes upon me. Now, if I'm a Christian that exercises judgment, I would look at them and say, well, they've probably got themselves in this situation, which is maybe true, but it's not something you say. And when you think that, you're not thinking the first thing that Jesus thinks. Aren't you glad that when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see all your stuff? You ever know that? When he looks at you, he sees you as a right. In fact, the Father, when the Father looks at you, he looks through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ and you were given the gift, get this, the gift of righteousness. You didn't earn it. Our righteousness, the Bible said, is like filthy rags. But the righteousness of Christ has been put upon you in birth in Jesus Christ. But like I said last two weeks ago, I said in some of our lives, the Holy Spirit is unemployed. And if you employ and deploy the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not just for everything out here. It's for what's going on in your heart and in your mind, cognitively, emotively, kinetically, touching you by the power of Jesus Christ and transforming you. So funny, while we're in Louisiana, my brother lives way out on a, like a, a ranch. He lives in a, a log cabin-like house. He's kind of off-grid. Doesn't have, you can't use your phone there. And you can't use the internet. But if you walk about 50 feet up a hill to the pole barn, there's internet. Somehow it blows by and misses their house, you know. So all week long, we're like, oh yeah, we'll just check it out. Oh. Hey, I need to call, oh. Oh, you know, we need to tech, oh. And so I had to decide, like, is it worth the walk? You know, I'd be out there like this, you know, trying to find the internet out there somewhere. 
All of a sudden, ding, ding, oh, got down. Well, things are still happening in the world. I mean, we had a six-day detox on the, I don't even know what's happened the past week. I had to come home and do some study to get caught up to date, you know. And so we're, we're in a place where the Lord, there's, there's such a picture in what happened down there, but he's got this dog, a, uh, a Jack Russell. And they're very fiery. He uses it for hunting, you know, and it lives in his house. And the, na- the name of the dog is Lulu. And so I'm sitting there and I kind of forgot this about Lulu. I've met Lulu before, but I, I just forgot about the intelligence of this dog. And so when she needs to go outside, there's a, like a Christmas bell hanging on the doorknob. She goes over, puts her paws up there and rings the bell. And then someone comes over and opens the door for her. And I watched that and I thought, if you can teach a dog to ring a bell to go outside when he wants to go outside, can't believers discipline ourselves in the power of the Holy Spirit to change our lives, to become consistent? By the way, that dog always did it. About three times a day, I'd hear the bell ringing. Dog wanted to go out. When he wanted to come in, he went to the window where my brother sits in his lazy boy and barks at my brother a couple times. And he knows, okay, there's no bell on the outside, so I'm gonna use my voice. But he knows where my brother sits all the time. And I thought, this is brilliant. This dog's brilliant. He's annoying, but he's brilliant. He's always wanting up on our lap and everything, you know. Just a little annoying. But anyway, he's brilliant. And I thought if believers can learn to discipline themselves in Christ, what magnificent things will begin to come out of our lives. Here's the thing. If you shift from demonic communication, which is what the Bible calls it, and shift to prophetic communication, you are shifting a life that is speaking life in every every person you encounter. If you do it, your shouts are meant to bring walls down. Our word will part seas. Our words will create worlds. Our worlds will dispel formless voids. Our words can actually raise the dead. Lazarus, come forth. Words can bring life to dry bones. Our words can build each other up. Our words can tear each other down or build them up. They're either curses or they're blessings. 1 Corinthians 14, I close with this. I got two minutes left. 1 Corinthians 14 says this. I love, I love Corinthians 14 because it's, it's a, there's, there's a 12, 13, and 14. 13 is, is a chapter on love. It's, it's like this, I'm gonna preach on it in a few weeks from now, but it's like a sandwich, a God sandwich. It's got the prophetic on the left, first bread, Love is the meat, and then another piece of bread, which is prophetic in in chapter 14. He pulls it all together and says, love is surrounded by what you communicate and how you act and what you do as a spiritual individual. So here's what we've got. First Corinthians 14 says this, pursue love. Everyone say that together. Pursue love. It's a levolution. And desire spiritual gifts. Isn't it interesting those are coupled together? Pursue love. Desire spiritual gifts, but especially, folks, this this identifies us, but especially you may prophesy, which is the mind and message of God. You may prophesy, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. And no one understands him. However, he who speaks, he will speak mysteries. But he who prophesies, in other words, he who uses her tongue for godly purposes, speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. This is where we practice prophecy. If you're not on a prophetic team, you haven't been uh, trained yet, do it. 
because it's not just for here. Everything we do up here with the teams, it's helping in the church, the laboratory of love, it keeps it going. But what they're doing is they're being trained to go out and change cultures where they go by what they speak. And I could give you many stories where that has happened. I wish you all spoken tongues, Paul says, but even more, what is even more than all? I wish you all spoken tongues, but even more that you prophesied. Prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he that speaks in tongues unless he interprets that the church may receive edification. Let's all stand together if we could. This week, here's what I want you to do. Homework. It's not written. It's not even an oral report. It's a sacrifice to the Lord that you're giving this week. So when you speak to people, think of these things. I'm gonna give you a few things. Speak in the you are category. You are, boom, whatever it is. That could be things like this, the quality of the person. You are amazing. Amazing is not good. Everything's amazing nowadays. The new toy that you get is amazing, you know. So let's not use that word. Let's get specific to the quality of the person. If you, if you have no words, go to Galatians 5. Read the fruit of the Spirit and pick one that that person represents. You know what? You're, you're long-suffering. And I, you know, you've been through so much. You, you've got tenacity. You speak that to someone, you change their life. I'm telling you. You speak something that literally, that your tongue becomes the rudder. And if they adopt that, their, their tongue, then their rudder begins to shift in a different direction. They begin to think different about who they are. I, I'm, I'm a person who's able to endure long suffering and come out on the other side. You know what, you're a kind person. When you speak that to somebody, right here in the first row, this lady right here, you're a kind person. The Lord acknowledges that right now. And you, you've allowed loads to come upon your shoulder and it's okay. Because spiritually, you're like an ox. You're strong. You can carry things. It doesn't matter. You're able to shake it off when it's appropriate. It's like, pile it on, bring it on. I don't care because I, I've been made strong. The Lord's given you spiritual shoulders that will bear much. We bless you in that in the name of the Lord. See, you speak that. You speak that, and you don't have to be as religious as I'm being right now. You speak things casually, and you just say, you know what I see in you? You're at lunch. Someone you've never really broken the barrier of serious conversation. Can I just say something to you? What? I see, I see something in you when I'm, when I'm with you. What are you talking about, man? You've been smoking something? No, no, I'm just telling you what I see. Sometimes I see stuff in people and I see that there's like a destiny that's emerging out of you. There's a, there's a new direction. You speak those things, I tell you, you have their total attention because something of God partners with that when you speak a word of encouragement. Encouragement is, is related to prophecy, just as comfort is and exhortation. You are, you are speaking divine things to another person. It's the best use of your tongue in speaking is to communicate the will and purpose of God. The angel to Gideon, remember he said, the Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. That was after he complained. He said, who am I? I'm the least of the worst of the weakest of the none, nobodies. Why am I even here? And the angel says, go in this your strength. What? He totally ignores all that stuff. It's like he can't hear it. He speaks to the destiny in your life. I'm telling you right around the room, if I had time and I'm gonna do it at the Christmas banquet, we're gonna give a word for everyone. I'll have it pre 
preset. It'll come up on the screen. You'll see a prophetic word over your life. I used to do it all the time. And then we had BSSM students and it was great. But I wanna step in this year because of the COVID and everything else. I wanna speak directly into everyone that comes to the banquet because there are you are words over your life. You are strong. You are kind. You're grateful. You're a thankful person. You're kind to other people. You're, you're open. You're not closed book. You're an open book. Those are great things. Speak high to another person. Heaven's influence on them. You have the favor of God on your life. Angels love saying that in the New Testament. For his favor is upon you. You are favored, a woman of God. You're favored, a man of God. That's a great thing to have. How about greater is he that is in you? You want to speak them to a higher level. You see them here, but you're going to look past that. And you're going to look to the gold that's in the hills of their life. And you're going to mine that gold, draw it out, and speak it and elevate them to a whole new place that they might encounter the Holy Spirit. We also speak forward. We speak forward to, we imagine together, you will. You will words. You are, you will. Speaking to uh, identity and destiny. I write about it in my book. You speak to identity and destiny. You're powerfully touching the runner of a person's destiny. And by your words, they may not even recognize it later on, but they're gonna turn and go in a right direction. So let me pray for you. How many of you would love to be used this week in a way to minister to somebody else with, without being weird about it <laughs> and being religious about it. Yeah. Wow, so much more. Sorry I'm out of town. How we use our tongue in worship is so important. How we love one another in a church context. We build one another up. Don't let any tearing down words come out of your mouth. Communicate Jesus as he is beautiful. And then outside these walls, a bigger challenge out there. You become a calming influence. I'm a few minutes over. Let me just give you this real quick. You speak life everywhere you go. You become a calming influence. Talk people off the ledge. Speak to their identities. Tell them who they are. Speak against hate. Learn to be a voice out in the wilderness. Just hold your palms out like you're ready to receive. Jay's going to come up, I think. Yeah, there he is. Oh, you just got your shorts off. It's good. It's coming up, palms up. We're, we're, Jay, do you understand what we're doing here? We're, we're asking for the Holy Spirit. I, I asked for a, a, an incident this week, an occasion, where they're going to realize in that moment, oh, that's what Pastor Steve was talking about. How am I? You're going to pause, and you're going to re- reflect a second, and you're going to speak into their identity or their destiny. Because we, let's just ask for the Holy Spirit, and then see if anyone needs Jesus here. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com give.